0: Welcome to the Satori Lifestyle Podcast. My name is Dave Kovar, and the title of today's podcast is 16 Tools for Better Teaching. And it's it's based off the instructor's training or the instructor's college that we've been doing for the last, you know, what, 20 plus years. And and uh, of course, these were originally designed, we designed them for teaching martial arts, but they're universal, and they can apply to virtually anything. If you're a parent, you want to teach your kids, uh, co-workers, now, not, not all of them are going to apply directly, but a lot of them will, so I hope you find value in them. Uh, they've been well well received and 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 boy, uh, uh, they this what we've really based our instructors, all of our instructors at our martial arts schools, uh, utilize these, and they're used really a, a lot of places. I've probably done Personally, I'm a little. I'm bragging here a little bit. Probably done in the, in excess of 350 to 400 instructors' colleges all over the world. Probably, I don't know, you know, fifteen thousand instructors, and this has the, been the basis. And like I said, it's it's worked pretty well for a lot of people. So hopefully, you might find it valuable. If some of you guys have been to one of my instructors' colleges, this will be a good review for you. And it, I want to just kind of start out by by kind of uh, uh, kind of sharing a little martial arts business history. So there was never anyone, when I started training, there was not any like teaching manuals and, uh, you know, or how to do anything. Right. As a matter of fact, uh, the first ones that came out were more technical like here's how you throw a sidekick and here's how this move works it was nothing with how to really relate or or teach information to students and so we kind of had through trial and error to come up with ways that worked better and I I look back on some of the old school methods of teaching and I just shudder to think of some of the stuff that that I used to do and I, I saw done as well and you still see it a little bit but not as much now I think the quality of martial arts instruction has gone up dramatically in the last few decades and uh and whether they use these rules that I'm going to talk about or these tools that I'm going to talk about consciously or unconsciously, most really good teachers will use the majority of these principles. And that's what I want to share with you today. So I want to start out by by reciting the Instructor's Creed. And, and it goes like this. I will teach this class because it's the most important class I'll ever teach. I am patient and enthusiastic. I lead by example. I want to say it again. I will teach this class because it's the most important class I'll ever teach. I am patient and enthusiastic. I lead by example. And that's something that, that how how that I'm going to talk about what exactly it means, but it, it really, uh, it, it kind of happened over a period of time when I would be back in the, in the early, let's just say this would have been the late, late eighties, early nineties. And my older brother, Tim and I are partners and, and he's doing all the enrollment and all the business and I'm doing all the teaching and we're just both working really hard. And sometimes I would teach, crazy number of classes in the course of the week i remember on wednesdays i had 10 classes i had like three morning classes and seven in the evenings and and some days not so many but i was teaching six days a week so you get the idea there was a lot of classes and man it would be uh you know wednesday my voice would be starting to go i would dehydrated and like ah oh, you know it's wanting to you know kind of wishing the day was over and what do you know that kid would show up You know That what, what I mean by that kid You know that one that really doesn't pay very good attention Or is hard to work with And man sometimes you just wouldn't want to You know you were ready to be done right It's just kind of human nature And uh, so what I would do was I'd start talking to myself and I'd say, all right, you know, I'll teach this class. Come on, I'll get my spirit into it. And slowly over time, the instructor's creed evolved. And I have, if you're wondering if I read that off a card, absolutely not. I I recited that. I've I've recited it thousands of times. To this day, I still use it. uh, uh, Before virtually every class I teach, I will recite the instructor's creed, usually out loud, usually pretty quietly. But what it does, it kind of gets my head right for the day, right? A lot of times when we're going to be a teacher, we feel like it's an inconvenience, right? Oh, I got to teach somebody. Well, the reality is if your head is right, half the job of being a good teacher is being in the right space. And this kind of helps, right? So I want to break down each line. And the first line, I will teach this class because it's the most important class I'll ever teach. And what that means is, is you're really only as good as your last class. I want you to think about like a movie star, Right? they're only as good as oftentimes as our last movie right you know they've and, and so the idea is that it doesn't matter how good class was last week for you you've got to have your class good this week as well right um, what I'll do when I have a group of students that will line up I look around the room and let's say there's 20 people on the floor I will imagine that one or two because usually at any given interest there's somewhere between 10 and 20 percent of your population is losing interest that means if there's 20 people that's between two and four let's call it three people that are that are maybe one mediocre class away from quitting. And when when you realize that, it's like, oh man, I got to make sure that I get my students to come back to class one more time and then one more time and then one more time. So that's helping me get my head on right. So I will teach this class because it's the most important class I'll ever teach. It doesn't matter what you did before, what you do next week. This moment has to be the best I can. I want to be present focused, right? The second sentence is I am patient and enthusiastic. What the heck does that mean? I think those are the two main qualities of any teacher is being patient with their students and being enthusiastic. If it never helps to be impatient and you, you know, it never helps the learning curve. You think about, in your life if you had a, a teacher or instructor that was being impatient with you that doesn't mean someone can't be firm with you it doesn't mean you can't crack the whoop a little bit if you have a young kid that's misbehaving you know it just means that overall you're you're, you're patient it never helps to say other leg not going you know, it never helps and by the way I have been impatient plenty of times with students in my career, more times than I care to mention. But you know what? It was really never the student. It was because I was preoccupied with something else. My head wasn't clear. And I was, for example, let's imagine that class is going on and I didn't take a second to do the instructor's creed. I'm stepping out to teach a class and I get a call and my assistant instructor who three times in the last two weeks has called in sick right before class. And I'm mad as heck. And, you all know, really, and I got to handle this, handle this class. And not only does that kid show up, but he brings three of his friends. And, man, you know, well, guess what? I snap at some student for some reason it wasn't even his fault because i'm not in the right space of mind so i am patient man you know and when i'm present focused it makes it easier and enthusiastic i'm patient and enthusiastic and and this is a very cliche cliche line but it's so true enthusiasm isn't taught it's caught right and i can't tell you how many times i'm sure it's if you're a teacher it's happened to you or you weren't really feeling that enthusiastic but you faked it You just kind of acted the part. And usually, not always, but usually what happens pretty quickly, you're there, man. You feel it. You're like enthusiastic. You're there. So and the last sentence is I lead by example. And what that means is I I love this line and and it's uh, preach often occasionally speak, meaning let your actions speak for you. Right. And, and to me, what this means is just really, you're trying to be somebody that your students, the person you, your students think you are. doesn't mean you're perfect, but you're really striving, right? That's what that means. So I want to say it one more time. I will teach this class because it's the most important class I'll ever teach. I am patient and enthusiastic. I lead by example. And, uh, I would read I, I would strongly encourage you if you're any type of an instructor to kind of adopt that mindset and what it does it kind of it kind of serves as a buffer between like maybe whatever was going on in your head before you're on the floor and then and then when you step out it's like there's, it's almost like you're turning on the light switch that gets your head right for your students and I'll tell you what my classes are always better when, when I 'm present focused and my head is right, and this is a way to kind of kickstart that a little bit. All right, so what I want to share with you, uh, these uh, tools, these teaching tools, uh, there's 16 of them. And by the way, there's a lot more things you could do, but these are the core ones that we really stress in our program, and uh, if, you can, uh, if you can really adopt these into your in your arsenal as far as teaching, man, great stuff will happen, okay? So the very first teaching tool is, and, and by the way, I want to back up a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about if you, you know if you were growing up, chances are when you were growing up, you had some special coach or some teacher, or maybe it was your parent or your grandparent or your uncle that had a super positive impact on you. It said something to you or did something for you that really helped to shape the, your belief, right? Well, when you're a teacher, that's the position that you're in with your students. And we really can't take that position lightly. So the, the way we interact with our students, our perception of them and how we, you know, uh, how we believe them to be valuable, man, that, that really can have an impact on them, I, 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 on your students. I want to share with you a line that goes like this, I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am. I am who I think you think I am. Let me say that again. I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am. I am who I think I think I think you think I am. What that means is my teacher thinks I can do it. I guess I can do it. So I think probably the number one absolute number one uh, most important skill or attribute of an instructor is to believe in their students potential. Now, when you're newer, sometimes that's a little harder because you haven't seen like like hard people, challenging students, whether it be coordination or paying attention, uh, you develop into high level, you know, experts, so to speak. But those of you that have been teaching for a while, man, you've, you've had students that were really clumsy, awkward, didn't pay very good attention, that ended up being pretty good students. And and so, but sometimes we forget. So that's just, that's why we, it's so important that we re- remember, uh, you know, that, that, that uh, the impact we can have on our students and so we've, we've got to believe in them. so but that's not enough From there you have to make a kind of a conscious effort to, to follow these rules and by the way these these uh, tips I'm going to share with you, they're the kind of thing that most teachers by default uh, will come across uh, will figure out on their own but it may take them a couple decades. so the whole idea is once you understand these out of the gate man it makes everything a lot easier. So the very first teaching tip is called friendly on purpose. Friendly on purpose. What does the heck does that mean? Friendly on purpose. Friendly on purpose refers to, you know, making a conscious effort to go out of your way to make your students feel good when you see them, to be friendly with them. I want you to think about, uh, uh, you know, when you've been into a business establishment, so often uh, businesses forget they've got a slick sign and they've got, you know, uh, their menu if it's a restaurant is really fancy and, you know, everything's looking good. But man, that 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 the ability to have you know the first contact positive is massive and it's amazing how many people uh, you know kind of forget this right so friendland for purpose refers to going out of your way to make all of your students feel important okay and when you on purpose means you make a conscious effort i bet you've been to a restaurant sometime that was really busy it was packed and and the front the the, the receptionist the, the person that was seating people this was a good person they're working hard but they didn't really they they out of the corner of the eye you know they saw you but they don't really acknowledge you and because they're so busy and 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 finally they when you get to them they say hey yeah let me let me see you well all you really wanted if you're anything like me is for them to look up out of the corner of their eye and see you and wait and go, hey i'll be right with you we're very busy and man i'm good i don't mind waiting well that that would be that friendly on purpose okay so making a conscious effort um And when you do this, especially people of all ages, that one of the one, the one of the main needs for, for us, for us as humans is to be appreciated and respected. And that's a real easy way to do that. And it's such an easy way to kind of win people over, you know, just sincerely care about them. So that's number one. Number two is use your transformational communication skills. Let me say that again. Use your transformational communication skills. What is that exactly? Transformational communication skills. Well, um, it's, there's three things. It's tonality, physiology, and physiognomy. I'm going to change the order. I'm going to go physio- physiology, physiognomy, and tonality. So let me explain what those are, okay? So first off, physiology is, uh, well, the tonality, let's start with that one since I'm skipping around, is, is the words, not the words you use, but the tone with which you use them. When I was a little kid and my mom said, David, it had a completely different meaning than David. Same words different meaning, right? So when we're teaching, the first thing we want to make sure that we're doing is that our voice inflection is in line with what we want it to be. Now, that doesn't mean we always have to be happy, right? Or like you'd like syrupy. Sometimes you might, you know, be stern or firm or slow or methodical, but you're doing it on purpose, right? And and I want you to imagine for a minute that you were uh, listening to this podcast right now, but you didn't understand English, uh, you, but you were listening to it anyway. You could tell Right now, if I'm being really bored by my tone, or if I'm mad, you can tell by my tone. You don't know, need to know English; you can tell by that tonality. So make sure your tonality is in line. Number two, now let's imagine you're watching someone teach a class, but all you can see is their body positioning. You can't hear their voice. That's that's where physiology comes into play. We want to make sure that the physiology is congruent and and. And really sends a message that this is where I want to be and this is what I want to be doing, right? And the third one is physiognomy. Physiognomy means facial expression. And what we're referring to there is is a quick look. You guys all know, family member, one quick look, you know you're in trouble or you did good or not or or a co-worker. And so we want to make sure that that once again, oozing from every pore of our being, it appears that this is where I want to be and this is what I want to be doing. So when I'm teaching, when I'm out there on the floor, I make sure that my facial expression is in line uh, my physiology is in line and my tonality is in line and when you make a conscious effort of that man it just gives you power now if you're excited and enthusiastic and the day your your day is great you're going to do all this stuff naturally but you're not always going to be there that's why you got to make a conscious effort to really uh, maintain these on a conscious level because then you're more likely to utilize them even when you're having a, a low day and by the way when you do have that occasional low day and you make a conscious effort to change your physiology and your tonality and your facial expression, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get out of your funk pretty quick because when you change your physiology, man, you, you, your emotion changes to match that, right? All right, so that's the second one. The third one, so so far the first one is, of course, friendly on purpose. The second one we talked about uh, was transformational communication skills. The third one is focus anchors now let me explain what a focus anchor you know a focus anchor is think Pavlov's dogs think stimulus and response so this is one of these strategies that very few teachers like like have a conscious name for it uh, uh but when but when they do finally kind of uh, uh like make a conscious effort to make it work ah it's it, it's amazing a big difference it, it makes so i see this a lot with well-intended parents that are maybe are in coaches that are doing a soccer team or little league maybe they don't have a lot of teaching skills coaching skills but they're enthusiastic they're a good person but if they don't understand a focus anchor you got these kids that are running running them ragged and, and so and and it's trying to trying to kind of like try to Herd kittens when when you say, "Hey, come on over here!" Oh, don't do stop doing that. It becomes mayhem. However, when you have some kind of focus anchor in place, to where you it's you, there's something that you say or do and they respond in a certain way. Like a simple one is, uh, we'll say, "Folks, clap on! and everybody all, all the students clap their hands one time. And what that does is that just brings everybody in right or another one would be huddle up and everybody huddles up real close and they take a knee right or we might say eyes on who and everyone responds eyes on you right and what that does once again it's stimulus and response now i remember one particular time it would have been 25 years 30 years ago maybe I, I went to this uh middle school the 7th and 8th grade uh, uh, uh this junior high to do an assembly and by the way if anybody's ever done an assembly the age you don't want to do is junior high individually the kids are great but collectively they, they can be knuckleheads sometimes and this was a, an at-risk school they hadn't had the assembly there in years uh and and, and and i was giving a talk on on cooperation and self-discipline and the ability to say no to peer pressure that was going to be the theme and and on the way in man there's all this there's a a guy uh, you know, he calls me out, wants to fight me. Of course, he's some fourteen-year-old kid going hiya, yeah. but you know, he was, it was, he was uh, like really. The teacher had to contain him because, uh, you know, he was excited about challenging me, etc. Et and uh, we go inside, and there's just mayhem, man. It's like a scene out of a juvenile delinquent movie, right? And uh, and this the the principal walks up, and she's this lady near retirement age, probably weighs 110 pounds, and uh, she walks up, and I go, and she didn't have a microphone. She didn't have a microphone. There was 400 kids in the room. Um, and, the, and she she puts she goes like this. She she looks up at him. And she goes like this, and all the kids respond. And there was complete silence. It was pristine, perfect silence for about five seconds. They got a little crazy again. Well, that was when man, that I just saw. Wow, what the heck was that? And, and we, that's when it's like, we got back and we started utilizing concepts like this. And it's incredibly powerful. It's the reverse of making people do pushups or punishing people, right? Which every now and then there might have to be some pushups. I don't know. We don't do it very much, but, but if you, if you utilize focus anchors ahead of time, uh, man, they work wonderfully well. And if you are doing focus anchors, so what you want to do is you want to make sure that you use them frequently and you have more than one and you keep the anchor strong. Let me explain what I mean by that. If I was going to say, everybody focus slap one, and I got this weak clap, it's my job as an instructor to not, to not tolerate that. No, try to get focus up one, and I get a, a more powerful one back. Because what's happening is I want to make sure that I keep the anchor strong, because it's my job to make sure to get my students in peak state. And if I let them get a little sloppy with that, then I'm doing them a disservice. I'm not, allow, I'm not teaching them how to get their energy level really high, really fast. Okay, so super important on focus anchors. Use frequently, vary which focus anchors you use and beyond that uh make sure to to keep the anchor strong. So, moving on, the fourth one is called the positive power of preframing, the power of preframing. What the heck is a preframe? It's getting someone to take a viewpoint of something before they have a viewpoint of something. So, uh for example, you know, if, if photographers are great at this. If you guys have ever gone to a photographer, uh what happens is uh you'll often get a photographer that'll go, "Oh man, you got to see this one picture." Well, Uh, He he shows you the one picture that's really good. There might have been fifteen that were bad, but he didn't get you to focus on that because he got you to he had you look at the good one, right? And so it's getting someone to take a viewpoint of something before they have it. So for us, there's three points to to preframe: preframe the beginning of class, preframe anything new that's being taught during class, and then preframe the next class. So let me explain what I mean by that. So let's just say I'm teaching some kind of group fitness, uh, you know, uh, martial arts class, soccer practice, yoga gymnastics it doesn't matter the very beginning i'm going to pre-frame hey guys i'm super excited about you being here i've got a great class plan it can literally be that simple you just want the people that showed up to go oh cool he's ready they're in the they're in the right mood that's number one so and by the way you probably most people do this already but the thing is if you don't do it on purpose it won't serve you when you do it on purpose it's really there for you so i would strongly consider you to 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 make a conscious effort to pre-frame class Okay, that would be the first step. Now, now then, anytime you teach your students something new, you want to preframe it in a way that makes them exciting for them to learn, make them want to learn it. So let's face, for example, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm teaching a martial arts class, and this particular class, I look down on the curriculum, I'm supposed to teach a spinning hook kick. And let's just say that I don't like a spinning hook kick. By the way, I like spinning hook kicks. But let's just say I don't. And, uh, and, and I look down, I see it, and I go, ah. Guy, class, we got to teach spinning hook kicks today. I think this is a dumb kick. You'd never learn in the street, but let's go. How excited are you about learning that kick as a student? Not very excited, right? And so, but of course, I don't want to lie and say, I love spinning hook kicks. because I'm not being congruent. I'm not being real. But what I can do is go, I look at the schedule. I realize we're teaching spinning hook kicks tonight. I can go, hey, class, we are doing spinning hook kicks tonight. Let me tell you, my I need to work on mine. Mine's not near as good as it could. But if you can do a, develop a good spinning hook kick, it says a lot about your athleticism and a lot about your flexibility. Let's get started. So what I did is I took my personal opinion away from it and I and I phrased it in a way that makes somebody possibly hopefully want to learn it. All right? And once again, when people preframe stuff already, but when you're aware of it and you do it consciously, Man, it's way more powerful than it would have been otherwise. And the final thing is we always want to try to link one class with another. So at the close of class, class, the most important thing you can do is pre-frame the next class, right? If there's one thing you're going to remember from this podcast, this may be it. And that is, is that always ask someone, when they're coming back again, when am I going to see you again? Because uh, they might be on the verge. They might be losing interest. You know, you don't know, man. They're having a hard go with things. And they're wondering, should I continue this or not? I don't know. But you know what? What happened is that you got them to, uh, uh, to commit. And so now you may even forgot that you did that, okay? But they remember. And so now they're, they're at home thinking, oh, man, should I go to class? I really don't want to. Oh, that's right. I said I was going to do. And then they come back, and that may be that transformational class that, just, that was absolutely the one that got them past their low spot, and now they're back in the game playing full on. Okay, so it's super important to be thinking in terms of preframing. So preframe the beginning of class, anything new that you teach, and at the end of class, preframe the next class. Okay, so we're cruising along now. Uh, we've got uh, a few more that I'm going to do on on this one. The next one I want to talk about is is uh, what we refer to as the three by three rule. And the three by three rule refers to during a class, the importance of using y- y- your student's name three times during class. But not just that, preferably eye contact and preferably some kind of appropriate body contact. So I walk up and I shake Bob's hand. And I say, good to see you, Bob. That's one. Then I go over and I give a knuckle bump and I say, good to see you, Mary. And I, that and it, those happen at the same time. That really, what that does is that really lets, it's important that my students know that I, they know that I knew that they were in class. Let me say that again. I don't know if that made any sense or not, but that your students know that you knew that they were in class. So the key to having a big class, because if you're a business, you know, generally speaking, more students is better than less students. Right. And, and you've got to be able to, you know, but the key to having a big class more than one time. Right. You can have it one time. But if you don't do a good job, you're not going to have a big class. Someone's not coming back right is that is that a couple things number one there has to be structure discipline lot you know you have to you have good control and a good teaching right that's number one but number two is your students need to know that you knew they were in class right because that really that that really makes a difference that that kind of connects with the very first thing we talked about when that was friendly on purpose okay and so with this uh I think that, that I, I wanted to really stress is that it's really hard. If you're teaching an hour class, it's actually really hard to get to three to, to someone three times with their name, eye contact, and appropriate body contact. It really is. Uh, it's like I, I can't tell you how many times I've made a conscious effort of doing and failed miserably. But guess what? In making a conscious effort to get to everyone three times, I pretty much can almost guarantee you that I'm getting everybody at least once and probably a couple times. And that's massive. That's massive because I made that that, that effort. So I would strongly encourage you to, 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 to look into that if you're not already doing it. And by the way, if you know someone's name and you don't use their name, it's no different than not knowing their name at all. All right, moving on. We are already at number six. Number six is public praise, private reprimand. Let me say that again. Public praise, private reprimand. On a scale of human emotion, the highest human emotion is considered a state of bliss. The lowest human emotions are considered a state of shame. And how do you shame somebody? Public humiliation. Uh, it's simple as that, right? And by the way, uh, I, I would like to think that I've never publicly humiliated somebody, but I'm sure it's happened more than once. I'd like to think at least it wasn't a conscious effort, at least not <laughs> recently. Uh, and and I'd like you're, you're probably thinking the same thing. However, uh, it, it happens more than you think is it, it, so our rule of thumb is is in front of if their students are younger or they haven 't been training as long. You want to really avoid like catching them doing things wrong in other people, in front of other people, because it makes them really self conscious. If I walk up to a kid in front of everybody and I say, "Hey, you need to, you need to bend your knees more," hey, you need to. But what happens is they're hardly listening because they're so embarrassed because everybody's eyes are on them for the wrong reason. So if somebody does something right, man, shout it from the rooftops. Let everybody know, man. I just, I'm so proud of Mary. She did an amazing class today. It's you know she is just getting so much better all the time. Hey, man, that's great. Tell everybody that. But if there's an issue. I'm gonna. Hey, Mary, can I talk to you for a minute? What's up with your energy today? I'm just really. I know you can do better than this. What can you do to give me some more energy? I'm gonna. Keep, I'm gonna take that t- whenever possible. I'm gonna have that conversation be offline, uh, and if I can do that, man, it, it just. Uh, I, I stand less of a risk of you know public humiliation. And why it's the wrong thing to do. Number one is that it's, and it's hard to keep students when that when that's the way it goes. Um, I recently was went to a visit a school, and this guy's school is uh, martial arts school. By the way, his school is beautiful. Uh, it's this building is beautiful, but they're struggling to grow. It, they're just having a really hard time growing and uh, i couldn't figure it out i talking to him on the phone and you know he's very sharp and and uh, you know i couldn't figure it out until it took me about 2 minutes after i got to school i walk in the first off it's this gorgeous school uh well lit just gorgeous uh lobby pictures framed perfectly symmetrical smells good i poke around the corner i haven't seen the class yet mats beautiful hanging bags just gorgeous and then I precie- proceed to see this mediocre young instructor uh, with about four kids on the floor just doing an absolutely mediocre would be really being generous job, you know, commenting on everything that people are doing wrong. and, and I, uh, That's how long it took me to know what his challenge was, right? He, they did not understand the concept of public praise, private reprimand. They're sp- spending their time finding out everything that the, these kids are doing wrong, these students are doing wrong. So go out of your way to remember the rule of public praise, private reprimand. So the next one, teaching tip, I believe we're on like number seven already, is is we call it the three Ds, which stands for Demonstrate Detail Drill. Let me say it again, Demonstrate Detail Drill. And uh, when, we're, when we're referring with demonstrate detail drill, what we're really intending to do is any time a demonstration is a physical preframe. Uh, and that is to any type of physical fitness move, any type of physical move, martial arts, gymnastics, doesn't matter. If you want to have someone to do something, let them see it at a high level. Now, let's just say that, man, uh, maybe you got a bum knee and you can't do that round off backflip. Well, pull it up on on YouTube and have them see it done at a high level, right? Find a way to see that, so so the students can get in their mind what it's supposed to look like. And then you start teaching it, you detail what they're, you know, now you gotta bend your knees, you gotta turn your hips, all the things that go into it. And then once we've got that, then it's drill. Demonstrate, detail, drill, and it really just continues. Demonstrate, detail, drill, detail, drill, detail, drill. And by the way, I'm a super big fan of when someone's starting something uh, to go super slow. The phrase goes slow is smooth, smooth is fast, fast is deadly right so it, the the worst thing you can do is go too fast too f- soon with something physical before it's you're really doing it correct because what happens is your muscle memory develops some the raw some of the wrong movements and then later on you're gonna have to break a habit that's already been created uh and, and if you don't have any bad habits to create uh, yet then man new habits can just step right in and they're easier to really it's e- easier to make that work all right? So a uh, really powerful demonstrate, detail drill. And the last one I want to talk about on, the, on this and we'll pick up the uh, next, next, next time in the next podcast is the concept of praise, correct, praise. And praise, correct, praise roughly translated. When we first started this really working this we literally wanted our students our instructors to praise a student before and after. Like if I'm going to make a correction I'm going to pr- find something to praise them about then I'm going to make the correction and I'm going to praise the correction. That's kind of textbook praise, correct, praise. But I look at this more as a to one ratio and meaning is that that what i want to try to do And by the way anytime you're giving praise this is super important okay my generation blew it as we gave a lot of kids a lot of false praise and it's not it's not made for you know, it, it's not help to these young people as they're going into the real world right uh, it's great to give someone a, a, a praise but it's got to be real and you want to praise efforts you want to praise efforts so so praise correct praise is that is that they uh, make in uh, two to one ratio so uh I know that a lot. this is not just for seven-year-old kids. Everybody likes a pat on the back. So make sure your praise is specific. And, and by the way, when I used to have instructors in the instructor's training, the first thing I do, let's say you're going to help me teach a class with four- and five-year-olds and it's your first time on the mat. If I go back 25 years, I would have said, hey, help! thanks for helping me today. And uh, if you see anybody that, that's not bending their knees or not paying attention, let them know to pay attention and bend their knees. And if you see anybody that hands down, tell them to bring their hands up. By the way, that sounds like pretty good advice, doesn't it? The only problem is, is guess what I'm training my instructors to do? I'm training to find fault and look for things they're doing wrong. And guess what? that 's easy man that is the easiest part of you know the instruction is finding what they're doing wrong The key is to train your eye as a teacher and instructor to see things that people are doing right so now that's the focus if someone's going to help me teach when they first start the first month i'm hey okay, i'll do all the all the I'm doing all the the, the 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 corrections all you're doing is noticing things that are specific things that people are doing well and and, and complimenting on that that's your job and so that's a great instinct for instructors to have and one once someone's got that and know that's kind of instinctive, then guess what happens? It's, 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 you never really have to think about the concept of praise, correct praise because you're doing that naturally. All right. So we went through eight tips. I want to review those. And, and next time we'll do some more. The first one was uh, friendly on purpose. The second one was transformational communication skills. The third one was harness the power of focus anchors. Uh, number four is was about pre-framing. Number five was the three-by-three three rule. Number six was public praise, private reprimand. Number seven was demonstrate detail drill. And number eight was praise, correct praise. Appreciate you tuning in today and look forward to uh, hope you come back on the next one. Take care. Bye-bye.